Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lippman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. We do welcome you to this week's Torah portion in the Lone Star Podcast. Pastor Trey Graham here in Texas with my good friend Rabbi Dove Lipman in Israel. And Hag Sameach, happy Passover, my friend. Thank you so much. It's always good to talk to you, but certainly... Um, the Passover holiday, which is uh, a special time, particularly in Israel, we just feel the holiday all around. It's wonderful to be able to share some of that spirit with you in Texas and anyone else who's listening. We do want to help our listeners understand that there is the weekly Torah portion where Jews around the world for over 2,000 years have divided the five books of Moses into weekly readings. But then the holidays come and it adjusts the schedule a little bit. And so we're going to discuss what's called Pesach number seven, the last readings, the holiday of Passover, and it covers Exodus chapters 13, 14, and 15. But there's also a schedule reading that we could have been in the book of Leviticus, which we'll discuss on the next podcast. But there's an adjustment on the schedule because of the holiday. Explain that to us. This might be quite startling to some of your listeners, but the holiday of of Passover and every holiday, actually, generally the the holiday itself, which is the day where we refrain from work and um, there are all kinds of prohibitions in order to allow us to focus on spirituality, uh, in Israel, uh, it's one day. For example, if you look in the Bible, Passover is a holiday on the first day and a holiday on the seventh day. So first day and seventh day, one day each. In the exile in the diaspora, outside the land of Israel, for a very technical reason, which is complicated to explain, that had to do with the new moon and knowing the dates when people were further away from Jerusalem, they actually keep two days of the holiday. So day one and two of Passover are holidays, and also by extension, day seven of the holiday, they do day seven and they do an eighth day, because they're keeping two days for that one holiday. So what happens this year where the seventh day of Passover is on Friday, for us in Israel, the next day is a regular Sabbath, and we'll do the next portion, uh, which is coming up. But in the diaspora, because they have a seventh and eighth day of Passover, they don't do the regular portion on the Sabbath, but they're going to read something special for Passover, and we're going to end up actually for a few weeks where Israel and diaspora, you know, we always talk about the unity of reading one portion each week. Uh, we actually lose that for a few weeks, just the way it fell out this year. And we're going to be reading a week in advance in Israel, and it'll be a week behind in the diaspora. So for our purposes, since we're trying to share this mostly with people uh, living in the United States, uh, we'll focus on the diaspora approach. And even though it won't be what we'll be reading in Israel, in a few weeks, there'll be a double portion in America and throughout the world, and they'll catch up to Israel. So that's why we'll focus on the reading that will be taking place about the splitting of the sea and the incredible second part of the Exodus story. Uh, And then we'll pick up with what you're reading in the States uh, for next week. 
The Passover holiday focuses on God's deliverance of the people from slavery in Egypt. God sent the ten plagues, as we've discussed on previous programs, and God used His power to demonstrate that He is the one and only true God. The people of Israel were freed from slavery. The Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, expels them, tells them to go, and they are headed toward the Promised Land, leaving Egypt, going to Israel. If you look at your map, the shortest route would be to go along the coast, along the Mediterranean Sea. But the Lord tells them to go southeastward. Rather than northeast, the Lord tells them to go southeast. And one of the reasons that scholars believe that is because it protected them from coming in contact with the enemy known as the Philistines, even in the region of Gaza that we read about on the news right now. That was the region of the Philistines. So the Lord took them the long way, which was a way of protection. And we sometimes ask the Lord, why does he divert us? Why does he give us a detour in our life? And sometimes it's not to punish us, but instead is to protect us. It's a sign of his grace to us. Talk about the route from Egypt to Israel. So it's fascinating. It's the gods not want to take them along the route that would lead them into battle immediately. These are people who are just slaves. They've just been persecuted for hundreds of years. And if they were faced with a challenge of war immediately, they haven't had the splitting of the sea experience. They haven't had the revelation at Sinai. That could just drive them backwards and go back to Egypt. And it says that straight out in the verses that God was afraid that that could happen. And therefore, God took them in a circuitous route. They went around uh, instead of going straight up the coast, like you said, Pastor, to Israel. And you know, God understood that these are people who are going through a process. And that process requires sensitivity to them as human beings, that they would not be able to face war. Uh, after they go through 40 years in the desert, and obviously we'll talk about that uh, other times, but in terms of why, we'll get to that in the book of Numbers as well. But after they go through that experience, and they have God providing for them through all those years, and they build up their faith, and they build up their capacity to deal with struggle, then they're ready to face uh, what will happen in the land of Canaan, in the land of Palestine, in Israel. Uh, but at this point, it's about building the nation. And for that to happen, they can't be faced with war immediately. The last verse of Exodus chapter 13 is verse 22. God did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. The Lord showed his presence to them. He showed his power to them. He was their guide. He was their provider. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, God's continuous presence with them that assured the people of his goodness, of his faithfulness, that he never left them. Talk about the imagery of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. This was very important for the people. You're talking about a people who were lost, lost in Egypt. There's no other word. They, they, they were lost and they started crying out to God and God comes forward, but they're being led out into a desert. We have to really put ourselves into this mindset for a moment. They, they, while Egypt was difficult and they were being persecuted, it was their home. It was a place where they had a source of food. They had a, a sense of, of uh, recognizing where they were. And now they're just walking out into a desert. My goodness, I walk on a trip with my family uh, into the desert, and you have to make sure we're prepared beforehand. We have food. We're just going to be there for X number of hours, and then we're going to come home, make sure we're hydrated. They're going with nothing, uh, no idea where they're going, no familiarity, no skill set to deal with living in that situation. 
And God needs to provide them with a constant sense of comfort and inspiration. And having that cloud of glory showing them the way, having the pillar of fire at night, it gave the people the capacity to do so. God does not put people in a situation where it's impossible for them. He gave the tools in this case and showed us that he gives the tools uh, to deal uh, with what they have to confront. And therefore, they had that constant inspiration. And I have to say, you know, we don't have open clouds of glory today and we don't have pillars of fire, but it's upon us to look for those signs. And I have to imagine that both of our faiths agree that God is constantly giving us uh, those kinds of signs. It's just that we have to be open enough to see it. In that generation, they had to have it openly, and it was done in that way. But God never leaves people uh, alone and is always there uh, with those signs showing us that he's there with us. We know from verses like Joshua 1, the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. This pillar of cloud and pillar of fire are examples of that, that the Lord never left them alone in the wilderness because they were helpless without him, as you mentioned. When we continue through the reading, we get to Exodus 14, verse 1 and 2, and this is a very troubling verse for people. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi Haroth, between Migdal and the sea, you shall camp in front of Baal Zavon, opposite by the sea. Pharaoh will see the sons of Israel and say, They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So the first four verses of Exodus 14 have a lot of teaching in it. One, the Lord tells them to make a U-turn, to go back toward slavery, and the people have to decide, will they obey God even if he tells them to do something they don't want to do? In this case, they did, and it was so that God could show his power, his final defeat over Pharaoh's army, because Pharaoh was going to see them through his scouts and his soldiers who are observing the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness. He was going to see them turn around and backtrack and think that they're confused or afraid or wanting to come back, and that will encourage him, embolden him to go attack them one more time to try to re-enslave them, and it's... God's plan to finally defeat Pharaoh and the army, but the people of Israel had to trust God to head toward the danger, not run away from the danger. You talk about a challenge of people that have just been freed. You can imagine the, the sigh of relief as they just make their way out of Egypt, even with all the fears of the desert. But then that act of faith, and these little acts of faith, I call them little, they're big acts of faith along the way, which help build the people uh, to the point that God can provide them with all the miracles that will happen in the desert. They do have to earn that a little bit. It's not a gift which God gives them without them earning it. We have a saying, Bishut emunah, in the merit of belief, that's where salvation comes. And you have to have that belief, and the trust has to be there. And God does put people of Israel through those tests to, to demonstrate their faith, to demonstrate their trust, to demonstrate their faith in Moses as, as the Savior of the people in the name of God. And uh, that's one important step along the way where they're able to go backwards. Now, it's interesting. You do see uh, throughout the story that the people constantly have a pull to Egypt. They were there, like I said before, for hundreds of years. This is where the nation developed. This is where they had some of their comforts. They start talking about the food that we have there. So there might have been mass confusion amongst the people as well. You can almost imagine some people who are saying, maybe we should go back because of the fact that uh, it was better for us there. 
And this is part of the lesson as well, because as they start heading back and Pharaoh chases after them, it just gives them that added reminder of, you don't want to go back there. Uh, God is taking you to a much better place. So there's both a test for the people to demonstrate their faith, and it's also to empower them to move on from the Egyptian experience and not continue to have the pull to go back. Later on in Exodus 14, there's what we as Christians might call a crisis of belief. The people of Israel are now headed back toward Egypt. They see Pharaoh and his army. They said it's 600 chariots headed toward them. They're starting to complain to Moses. Verse 11, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? They said, why are you causing us this pain? Why are you bringing us out here to die? Their faith was weak. Their trust in the Lord was weak, and therefore their trust in the Lord's leader, Moses, was weak. What about this phrase that we call a crisis of belief? It's very important uh, for us, uh, Pastor, to, and everyone who's listening, to realize that the people who lived back then in the times of the Bible, it wasn't as if everything was smooth sailing for them and it was easy for them, and, and perhaps we're the only ones who struggle. We, we see very, very openly, the Bible does not hide that they had struggles. They had struggles in terms of faith. They had struggles in terms of really understanding God, and, and you see their complaints very openly. And I think it's so important for us to see that because the end of the story is positive. They get to the sea, they get to Sinai, they get to Israel. There are a lot of ups and downs along the way, and a lot of questioning along the way. And that's okay. It's okay for them to ask the questions. It's okay to be a human being and even complain. The question is, what happens next? Where do you go after that? They were searching for answers. They were searching for salvation. They were searching for connecting to faith. And that's what we have to draw inspiration from. The Bible's not hiding anything from us. God wants us to see this is the nature of human beings. We're going to be questioning. We're going to have uh, challenges. Like you, like you defined it, crisis of faith. It's going to happen at various points in life. And the question is, do you throw in the towel and just give up? Or what's the next step? And that's what we have to keep focusing on. What happens next uh, after that? Uh, how do the people deal with it? How they confront it? Uh, that's the important lesson uh, for all of us. That's why Moses says in Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. He says, don't try to fight them. Don't try to run from them. Stand in faith and trust the Lord that he will provide for you. And so then the challenge is to keep moving forward. And as they're traveling in the desert, the Israelites are now cornered. They have a sea, the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea in front of them. They have the Egyptian army behind them. It appears they cannot escape. And yet God does the miracle that we know about where Moses lifts his staff and the sea is parted by this powerful east wind. And it says they crossed over on dry land. We think something like two million people crossed over until the Lord, which had the pillar of cloud behind the people now as a block between the people of Israel and the Egyptian army. Then the Lord let the sea come down and close back up and drown the Egyptian army. 
But crossing the Red Sea is the cliche that talks about trusting God. But talk about how much faith it actually took to step into what you think is a place of death where you will drown, and it's yet God's place of deliverance. Yeah, in fact, God tells them in chapter 14, verse 15, uh, the people are crying out to him, exactly as you described the pastor. They're stuck. They have no place to go. Uh, there's mountainous ranges on both sides, and they can't climb. They're stuck in this narrow channel, and all they have is the sea in front of them, the Egyptians behind them. And they cry out to God for salvation. And God says to them, why are you crying out to me? He says to Moses, why are they crying to me? Speak to the people, and they should just travel. They should just go. They should jump into the sea, essentially. And we have a tradition that there was one great man named Nachshon ben Aminadav who actually did that. He was the first one. He said, that's it. God said he'll save us. I got to go into the water. And they actually went into the water having that faith. We have all kinds of traditions about how they risked their lives in doing so, but they showed their faith and trust in God. And you know, the expression of crossing the sea, it has to start with our act. That's the most important message over here. It wasn't that the people were sitting back on the beachhead and then all of a sudden God made the miracle happen. They went in. They went in. They showed their faith. God responded. But the starting point was their act. We have a tradition uh, that God says, open up a little bit of a hole for me the size of a needle, and I'll open it up the size of a warehouse. But we have to take uh, that first step. We have in our prayers, we say, we will take the first steps, God, but we, 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 then we know that we need you to help us along the way. But we have to take that step. And that's the lesson that we see uh, from the story of the splitting of the sea, and in particular, the people going straight in this. Is that, is that something which uh, you see in the story as well in your faith? It is a step of faith. It is step out and trust the Lord that he will provide, just like previously when the Lord said, make the U-turn and head back toward Egypt. Now he says, step over there that way. And all you see is an obstacle. All you see is a block. And yet you're confident you know what God says to do, even if you don't understand it. That's what emunah is. That's what faith is. That's what trust in the Lord is. And Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. If we trust the Lord and obey him, he will solve all the problems. He will find the answers even when we don't do it. And so the people of Israel take the step of faith and they move forward. As the Lord told Moses to tell them, they step toward the sea. The sea miraculously opens up. They walk across on dry land. The Lord then afterwards closes up the sea because the Egyptians thought they would just follow through on dry land also. The Lord closes up the sea. The people of the Egyptian army are drowned. And we get to the last verse of Exodus 14. It's verse 31. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And I think it's both encouraging and discouraging, this verse. It's encouraging that the people trusted God, and he performed the miracle, and that was a strengthening of their faith, a building up of their faith. I also think it's a bit discouraging that we don't just trust God from the beginning. We go through the time of complaining. We go through the time of doubting. Then he keeps his faithful covenant promise. He shows up and does what we ask him to do, but we could have missed all of the complaining if we had trusted God in the first place. Yeah, that's certainly something we should take from this story. Why do we need to go through 
those steps to get to that point? Why do we need to have challenges come our way and be tested uh, to get to that point? And hopefully we should be motivated uh, to jump to the faith uh, right from the beginning. But at the same time, exactly like you said, as long as we know that when we go through those challenges and go through those difficulties, we can emerge even stronger. And in this case, the people emerge with that complete faith. Uh, we have a tradition that the people of the least intelligence, so to speak, had prophecy in the splitting of the sea, like Ezekiel. They just, just complete clarity of God's existence. So they at least took from that experience uh, to have that complete total faith and awareness of God. But sadly, it, far too often it takes those experiences for us to reach that point. And I think the story is there to try to remind us that we don't have to do that. We don't have to wait uh, for something to happen, but we can uh, just on our own without the challenges uh, come to the faith. And that's the goal of the story. The goal of the Exodus story for us, the goal of Passover is to reinforce faith. It's all about our own faith, passing that on to our children and making sure that it's strong. That's what it's all about. And certainly that's why the splitting of the sea is a very fitting end to the story and to the holiday. And you just made a great point. That's one of the beautiful blessings of the Word of God, that we get to learn the lessons that these other people had to go through. So maybe our faith can be strengthened before the crisis occurs when we see the lessons learned by these people whose faith was strengthened in the middle of crisis. And after the Lord protects them and delivers them, we get to the last part of this week's Torah portion, Pesach number 7, and that's Exodus chapter 15, and it's a song of praise, and it's written by and spoken by Miriam. Now, I'll remind the listeners, Moses, we believe, was 80 years old when he was leading the people out of slavery. His older brother, Aaron, was 83 years of age, and Miriam was the oldest of the three. We think she's like 90 years old. And here she is playing the tambourines, dancing and singing. And this chapter 15 is a beautiful praise, a song of thanksgiving to the Lord for his deliverance. What can we learn from her song in chapter 15? The message of thankfulness, the message of recognizing the good that has been done to us and expressing it. Far too often, you know, we, we have so many blessings around us and we focus so much on what we don't have. Here the people put aside everything, a whole Egyptian slavery. We don't understand. We don't know what it's all about. But my goodness, has God just brought us salvation? And now we have to sing out. It's literally, it's literally a bursting out of emotion uh, as they, they reach out and sing. And, and the commentaries even talk about it. it wasn't the norm for women back then to be out in public doing this kind of thing and is actually uh, in the grammar some of the some of the grammar is masculine in nature when it's talking about women singing because they were sort of doing what men used to do in public but there was just this outpouring of thanks to God and we must learn that lesson from this song it's a, by the way this song is part of our daily prayers every single morning we say it in synagogue when they read it everyone stands and it's a very dramatic moment it's done with a special tune with a lot of drama as well we must be people who give thanks to God on a regular basis for the things that we have. And certainly when something of a great magnitude happens, don't let the moment pass. Use it as a moment to connect even stronger. Uh, the thanks is not for him. The thanks is for us. It's for us to feel the closeness uh, to him. And that's what we learn from this beautiful, beautiful song and why it's such an important element of our prayers and of the Torah reading. 
and we come to the last part of today's discussion and the last part of this week's portion. At the end of Exodus 15, the people of Israel now continue on and they move forward from the Red Sea. They travel around different parts of the desert in what we would call the Sinai Peninsula today and they come to the place called Marah. Verse 23 of Exodus 15, they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. So I think there's a, another test of faith here. The people, of course, are thirsty. They've been traveling for three days. They need fresh drinking water. They get to an oasis in the desert, but the water's not fresh or sweet. It's bitter. And so they trust the Lord's going to provide. They cried out to the Lord. And Moses grabs a stick, throws it into the sea as an act of obedience. And the Lord turns the water from bitter to sweet. I think there's several lessons here. One is... God can provide for us even when we see no way for him to provide. But also I think there's a symbolism in the bitter to sweet, like the bitterness of slavery to the sweetness of freedom. You have it in the haraset and the maror, the different dips within the Passover meal. And so the water going from bitter to sweet is like slavery going from bitter to sweet in freedom. Talk about the symbolism of another test of faith at Marah. Well, I think it's so critical that that test comes right after this high, which they experience at the sea and their song, because maybe we think, okay, we reached salvation, we reached clarity, we gave thanks to God, now everything's going to be okay. We're not in this world uh, for things to always go smoothly. There are always going to be hardships, and the, the challenge for us is how do we deal with those hardships? That's why the Bible is so powerful and so critical for us to read, to see these experiences, to see that this is the way it works. We're alive in order to deal with the challenges that come our way and how the people react, seeing God's salvation again, step after step, and it's not going to end. It's going to continue throughout their desert experience. It's going to continue when they enter the land of Israel. There's no moment where there's total respite and everything is just wonderful. And by the way, even when everything is wonderful, that's when it tends to lead to sin, as we'll see much later on in the Bible with King Solomon and others. We're here to deal with those challenges. We're here to um, always constantly seek ways to get close to God in the difficult times, and the easy times, and that's why immediately after the splitting of the sea, the, the height of the, the climax of the exodus and all the celebration challenges again. And that's the message to us. The message is it's continuous. It'll always be this way. And the challenge, the question is, how do we approach it? And how do we maintain our faith? And how do we see God clearly, regardless of what we're experiencing? For our Christian listeners, I'll tell them one last verse from the New Testament. Romans 15, verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So these tests of faith are to teach us to trust God, or as this verse says, that he would fill you with hope even when the dark times are there, even when the barriers and the obstacles are in the way. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. I know it's from the book of Romans, Rabbi, but I think you would agree with the phrase. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. That's the goal that we're all searching for. We, we strive. We need God's help. But like we said, Pastor, the starting point has to come from us. He's there. He's ready to provide for us. And we're the ones who have to take that step, as we've seen every single part of the way uh, through this Exodus story. We do thank all of our listeners for being with us as we've concluded this discussion of Passover. Passover is coming to an end in Israel and around the world. And so 
Rabbi Lippman, I hope it's been a beautiful Passover for you and your family. Hag Sameach and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Happy holidays to everyone and a wonderful Shabbat. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lippman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.